this new series that we're all starting. Um, I'm starting it today. It's a, it's a series that God had put in my heart over a year ago. Every year, I want us to look at a topic that, that people deal with. Um, and people may not immediately think of the Bible uh, when they think about the topic. This year, we're going to look at forgiveness. And even though the world may not look at forgiveness through a biblical perspective, um, we as Christians, we are going to look at forgiveness through the Bible. As Christians, uh, I think we all should think through this. I think we should all think through how should we approach forgiveness. Today, I'll be specifically focusing on God's forgiveness. Uh, next week, my beautiful wife, Elida Arroyo, she will share, as I mentioned, maybe a psychological uh, perspective. And Oscar will also share his thoughts about forgiveness. And then I'll end our time together on forgiveness by looking at human forgiveness and giving some practical tips. But I think we could all admit that even though we may have this desire to forgive, forgiveness is hard. And uh, uh, even though it's hard, I, I pray that through our time together, even though you know we're transitioning and all of these changes are taking place, that even through our time together, you may learn about forgiveness, that you start thinking through forgiveness. Let's pray before we go any further. Heavenly Father, thank you for everyone here. Thank you for everyone who participates, whether they're present, whether it's through their giving, whether it's through their singing, whether it's through their hearing. Lord, thank you for each one of them. Lord, may you take over my heart and my mind so that I could do what you want me to do, so that I could help your people know what forgiveness is and what it's not. And Lord, I pray that everyone here may be confident that you are a forgiving God. You are a merciful God. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. If you look at Christianity, you might narrow Christianity to this one point. And that one point is the forgiveness of sin. The great reformers, they were great Christian leaders, and they led the Protestant church. Martin Luther and John Calvin, they really hammered this truth. This truth was the forgiveness of sins, which they called justification by faith. Are we right to narrow the Christian faith to this single point, to the forgiveness of sins, to say that Christianity is just the forgiveness of sins? I say to a degree, yes, there's like kingdom, the story of Jesus and the king, but, but the forgiveness of sins is key to Christianity. I, I quote Karl, Karl Barth, one of the most influential theologians of the 20th century, for the forgiveness of sins is the basis, the sum, the criterion of all that, might, that may be called Christian life or faith. 
without the forgiveness of sins. There is no Christianity. There is no Christian person. There is no Christian faith. There is no Christian living. The forgiveness of sins is central. Christians are reminded about the forgiveness of sins each time that we pray the Lord's Prayer. And forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debts. We pray that God would forgive our debts. That he would forgive our sins, our, our wrongdoings. But in this prayer, not only are we reminded about divine forgiveness, God's forgiveness, but we are also reminded about human forgiveness. Always taught forgiveness. And I think that we, we live in dire times. And during these times, the, the church needs to preach forgiveness. The world is looking for how to forgive. You can do an easy search online and see that popular books on forgiveness are these. These are common books that you will see online. One book, How to Forgive When You Do Not Know How. Another one, How to Forgive When It's Hard to Forget. How to Forgive Your Children. How to Forgive Yourself and Others. How to Forgive Your Ex-Husband and Get On With Your Life. Caring Enough Not to Forgive. Forgiving Your Parents. Forgiving the Unforgivable. The 12 Steps of Forgiveness. And as you can see, people are trying to forgive. They are looking up all these books, trying to learn how to forgive. Because forgiveness is hard. But the church should be able to help people learn about forgiveness. And a great way to start is by giving a definition of forgiveness. Here's one definition of forgiveness. Forgiveness is the overcoming on moral grounds of what I call the vindictive passions, the passions of anger, resentment, and even hatred that are often occasioned when one has been deeply wronged by another. So, so forgiveness is this overcoming on moral grounds like these vindictive passions. Somebody did something wrong to you, and, and you are right to get angry. But you overcome that anger. That, that's what forgiveness is in this definition. Here's a more biblical, more theological, traditional definition of forgiveness. And it's very simple. The remission of sins. Or the cancellation of punishment. Another view is that forgiveness is the removal or the annulment of some obstacle or barrier to reconciliation. So uh, forgiveness is taking that which is stopping you from having a relationship with someone. Forgiveness allows the possibility for the restoration of something. And I hope through these definitions we're getting an idea of what forgiveness is. It could also be helpful to state what forgiveness is not. Forgiveness is not deciding that the act was not morally wrong. That's not forgiveness. Forgiveness is not saying that the person did not mess up, that the person didn't do anything wrong. No. Forgiveness includes recognizing that the other party has messed up. 
Forgiveness is not changing one's judgment of the offender despite the offense. It's not saying that the action was wrong or that the person was not guilty. No, forgiveness recognizes that the perpetrator is guilty. Forgiveness is not just overcoming resentment. It's not just like, uh, I'm over it. So let's move on. That, that's not forgiveness. Forgiveness does, it does free us from bitterness and hatred and guilt. But forgiveness, it's much more, it reestablishes personal relationships and mutual affirmation of worth and dignity. And today we will look at the Bible's treatment on forgiveness. And a big deal of it is on God's forgiveness. Ultimately, the Bible presents God as a forgiving God. And the New Testament teaches that human forgiveness is possible because God has forgiven. As God's people, we must reflect God's character. God is merciful and thus as bearers of his name, as his representatives, we must be merciful. Look at what Paul said in Colossians 3.13. Bear with each other and forgive one another. If any of you has a grievance against someone, forgive as the Lord forgave you. We forgive because the Lord forgave us. The Lord forgives. The Old Testament reveals that sin leads to suffering for the sinner. But repentance will lead to divine forgiveness. Sin also makes sinners unclean. They feel guilty, defiled as a result of sin. But yet the Bible presents forgiveness as this cleansing power. It's super important in the Bible. Psalm 51, one of my favorite psalms, it's a penitential psalm. It says this, and it's a great prayer. It says, wash me, this is the psalmist talking to God, wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse, my, cleanse me from my sin. Wash me and I shall be whiter than snow. Create in me a clean heart, O God. And then in the New Testament, we see water baptism in relation to the forgiveness of sins. In addition to being cleansed, the Bible also presents God's forgiving power as the restoration of relationships. The reestablishment of a broken relationship. We have broken our relationship with God. But God is willing to restore his relationship with us by forgiving us. I believe that we can benefit from believing in the, the God that the Bible presents, which is a God who forgives. And I also believe this, and it's one of the consensus of psychologists, and it, it, it's this. Only one who has experienced forgiveness can truly be forgiven. Only one who has experienced forgiveness. Only a person who has 
experienced, who has received forgiveness. Only this person can truly be forgiven. For this is not something that can be taught. It must happen. I cannot teach you how to forgive. Oscar or Elida cannot teach you how to forgive. You can only really forgive when you yourself have experienced forgiveness. And as Christians have taught over the centuries, you can experience forgiveness. In fact, you can experience true forgiveness from God. Christianity should be full of forgiving individuals because we have experienced God's forgiveness. And let's just see through the scriptures how we have experienced God's forgiveness. To understand God's forgiveness, it's important to first understand that God is the judge of all the earth. So any wrongdoing that we do, it is against him. He has to judge that. He judges the righteous and he judges with, with equity. So if something is wrong, he is the judge. He is the one that determines what the sentence is. And in verse 13, he comes to judge the earth. He will judge the world in righteousness and the people in his faithfulness. God sees injustice. He sees sin. And as a righteous judge, he must bring judgment. But God is not just a judge. God is also merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. This is what he told Moses. The Lord, the Lord, the compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness, maintaining love to the thousands and forgiving wickedness, rebellion, and sin. Yet he does not leave the guilty unpunished. He punishes the children and their children for the sin of the parents to the third and fourth generation. The idea with the generations, it's, it, we, we could compare it. Yes, he, he judges the immediate community, the immediate generations, but he shows love to the thousands. So this is a pretty interesting, uh, interesting verse because this is the verse that is most used. Like all the Old Testament authors, most of them, plenty of them, they, they quote this verse the most. It's the most quoted verse in the Old Testament, and it's very interesting. The prophets and the, the other Old Testament authors, they regularly quoted this passage. And the context of this verse is also interesting. He, God is saying this when the Israelites had made a golden calf and said that they would worship. The Israelites had sinned against God. And here we see that God reveals himself as a merciful God. The Hebrew word that speaks about God's forgiveness and mercy speaks of how God pardons and he, how God, he lifts the guilt from a person. That's the idea behind it. 
And God's forgiveness is also connected to healing and atonement. And God forgives cow worshippers. Cow worshippers, the Israelites, who had been delivered by God from Egypt. God had delivered Israel, but Israel had made these gods. And this is what they said. They said in Exodus 20, 32, 4, These are your gods, Israel, who brought you up out of Egypt. But the Lord God, he was the one who took them out. But here we see that they made this idol, this golden calf. And now they're saying that this is the God who delivered them. God looked at the scene as a judge. Like, how could the Israelites have done this? God looked at this, not just as a judge, but he also looked at it with mercy. Because God is merciful and gracious. God would forgive Israel. God would continue to have a relationship, but yet a, a covenant with Israel. Because God is merciful. Over the years, people have thought about the mercy of God. The prophet Micah thought about mercy, God's mercy, when, when he said, Who is a God like you? Who pardons sin and forgives the transgression of the remnant of his inheritance? You do not stay angry forever, but delight to show mercy. You will again have compassion on us. You will tread our sins underfoot and hurl all our iniquities into the depths of the sea. You will be faithful to Jacob and show love to Abraham as you pledged on oath to our ancestors in days of long ago. There is no God like Yahweh, no God like the God of Israel. He is merciful. He pardons sin. That's crazy. He, he, he doesn't remain angry forever. He has compassion. He casts sins into the depths of the sea. And because the Israelites knew how merciful God was, they, they prayed, asking God to forgive. Psalm 25 is a prime example of a prayer for forgiveness. This is a prayer that the psalmist prayed and that the Israelites would pray. Do not remember my sin, the sins of my youth or my transgression. According to your steadfast love, remember me. For your goodness sake, O oh Lord. For your name's sake, O oh Lord, pardon my guilt, for it is great. Consider my affliction and my trouble, and forgive all my sins. The psalmist recognized that. He recognized that he was a sinner, and that his sins were a big deal. He didn't try to minimize them. You only ask for forgiveness. You truly only ask for forgiveness when, when you recognize how big of a deal your sin is, how, how depraved and grave your, your sin is. The psalmist recognized that he had sinned since his youth. Since his youth. The psalmist had sinned and transgressed, transgressed against God. Because the psalmist had sinned, he asked God to forgive him. To not remember the sins of his youth or his transgression. 
And the psalmist didn't rely on his deeds or his credentials or his resume. Instead, the psalmist knew that if he was going to receive forgiveness from God, it would only be because of God's own character. Therefore, the psalmist said, forgive me, not according to my good works, not according to my character. No, he said, God, forgive me according to your steadfast love. Imagine if it was according to our faithfulness, if we only received forgiveness if we were faithful. If that was the case, we would have problems trying to obtain forgiveness. But fortunately, we rely on God's character for forgiveness. And he forgives us because of his own love and because of his own purposes. In verse 11, the psalmist noted that his guilt was great. He was guilty. He wasn't saying that he was innocent. He was guilty. And he needed forgiveness. And he asked for forgiveness. For the sake of the Lord. For the purpose of God. The psalmist recognized that his guilt was great. He recognized that his sin, it stops him from experiencing abundant life. He recognized that sin, it breaks his life-giving relationship with God. And I want to return again to Psalm 51, my, my favorite psalm. And I, I really encourage you to pray this prayer whenever you mess up, you sin. It's such a good prayer. Have mercy on me, O God, according to your unfailing love, according to your great compassion. Blot out my transgressions. Wash away all my iniquities. And cleanse me from my sin. In this psalm, we really understand forgiveness in terms of cleansing. Blot out my transgressions. Wash away all my iniquity. This is a wonderful psalm. Really keep this in your heart. Pray this whenever you need forgiveness. And God will be faithful and he will forgive. And hopefully, as a result of experiencing God's forgiveness, you, you could sing Psalm 103, verses 2 to 3. Praise the Lord, my soul, and forget not all his benefits, who forgives all your sins and heals all your diseases. Amen. As we see... In the Hebrew Bible, in the Old Testament, there was this idea that God is merciful. And this idea continued during the time of Jesus. The Israelites, the, the Jews, they continued to see God as a merciful God. In the Sirach, a Jewish text during the time of Jesus, the Jews during Jesus' time continued to see God as being compassionate and merciful. And they, they also saw that forgiveness is connected to salvation we'll get to jesus and forgiveness in a moment but let's first see what the church of jesus the community of jesus believed after jesus ascended what they believed about divine forgiveness of god's forgiveness the, the church believed this if you put your faith in jesus you will receive Forgiveness of sins. 
in his youth. Acts 10, 43. All the prophets, all the Old Testament prophets, testify about him, about Jesus. That everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins through his name. The church believed that the prophets of the Old Testament testified about the future forgiveness that Jesus would bring. The church saw that because Jesus had died, resurrected, and ascended to heaven, people can have forgiveness of sins and the gift of the Holy Spirit. The apostles preached this. The apostles believed that faith in a man, that faith in Jesus, that this faith would bring forgiveness. There's nothing like this idea that putting faith in a man. We, we don't find this anywhere in the Old Testament. And like, how did the church begin believing this? this like, where did this idea come from that we have to believe in Jesus to experience forgiveness? Why were the apostles so confident that if people believe in Jesus, they will be saved? They would have the forgiveness of sins. Well, the apostles were just doing what their Savior had said. Before Jesus ascended, he told his disciples, and the repentance for the forgiveness of sins will be preached in his name. Talking about the Son of Man, talking about Jesus' name. Jesus is teaching the apostles, preach the repentance for the forgiveness of sins. Preach it in my name to all the nations beginning at Jerusalem. Preach in his name that forgiveness has come. Repent and you will be saved. Repent and you will receive forgiveness. And the apostles preached that, that we are living in this new age, in this new period, because of what Jesus did, the work of Jesus, because of the ministry, the death and resurrection of Christ, because Jesus has ascended to be at the right hand of the Father, because the King has come and sent the Holy Spirit, the apostles preached that the forgiveness of sins is available. Therefore, in Acts 2.38, the apostle Peter said, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of of sins and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit God raised Jesus from the dead therefore repent turn away from your sins be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ be baptized for the forgiveness of sins of your sins in Acts 319 it talks about a complete wipeout repent then and turn to God so that your sins may be wiped out. That times of refreshing may come from the Lord. Repent and turn to God. Why? So that your sins may be wiped out. Your sins, your wrongdoings, your rebellion against God, all that be wiped out, gone from your life. 
It doesn't matter what you have done. Doesn't matter who you have been with. Doesn't matter how long you have been playing church. God is a forgiving God. And if you repent, if you recognize the severity of your sin and genuinely decide to leave sin and to turn to God, God will wipe your sin out of your life. The junk, all that junk, out of your heart. You can have, you can experience, you can have forgiveness. Your sins can be wiped out. Your sins can be washed away. Just like Acts 22, 16 says. And now what are you waiting for? Get up, be baptized, and wash your sins away. Calling upon his name. Uh, calling on his name. On the name of Jesus. The name, the power, the authority, the person of Jesus is essential. He is the son of God. He is the king. And he has brought salvation and the forgiveness of sins. This is all part of having shalom, of, of having peace with God again. And with others and with the world. And God wants that. He, he, he wants you to have forgiveness. That, that's why we're here with Encounter Church. We're here to remind ourselves and to preach and let the world know that God forgives through the person of Jesus. That's why he's empowering us. That's why he's building the church. He empowered Paul. He empowered the apostles. He empowers us so that we could Preach the Bible and reach the lost and let them know that God forgives sins. Acts 26, 18 talks about Paul's role. This is what Paul was supposed to do, the apostle. This was his job, essentially, as a, as a minister of God. He was supposed to open their eyes, open the eyes of the world, turn them from darkness to light. From the power of Satan to God. So that they may receive the forgiveness of sins. God had chosen and empowered Paul so that Paul could be God's representative on earth. So that, God, so that Paul could do God's work of helping people see. To help them turn from darkness to light. To help them turn from the power of Satan to the power of God. So that they may receive the forgiveness of sins. The apostles knew that Jesus had brought forgiveness through what he did on the cross. They were there at the Last Supper. Remember what Jesus said at the Last Supper. He said, this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many, for the forgiveness of sins. Jesus spoke about the pouring out of his blood, which would bring the forgiveness of sins. In, in the Greek, if I remember correctly, this, this word of being poured out, it, it conveys this, this sense of blood shedding that is, that is violently being shed in, in a battle. So this bloodshed that Jesus would suffer would bring this new covenant and with that the 
forgiveness of sins. And this was prophesied by the prophets. The prophet Jeremiah spoke about God installing a new covenant where there will be the forgiveness of sins. And I won't read the entire part that I intended to read. We'll just read the last part where it says, For I will forgive their wickedness and will remember their sins. No more. God was going to do this with a new covenant. God would make a covenant, a new covenant, and he did it through the blood of Jesus. And through this covenant, he would forgive the sins of his people. He would no longer remember their sins. And through his blood, through the blood of Jesus, Jesus established this new covenant. Through his blood, Jesus brings forgiveness. And now we can have something that we had lost. Through our sins, we we broke our relationship with God. But through the blood of Jesus, we, we can have a perfect and permanent relationship with God because of the forgiveness that comes with Jesus. Now I want to end our time with two stories. Uh, one story, and both of them involve Jesus. Jesus, he, he regularly demonstrated that people can have a relationship with God. Even if they had sinned. There are a handful of stories that I could have focused on where Jesus brings shalom to people by bringing forgiveness. He brings peace to a paralyzed man. I, I want to focus on this one story and then another. But we won't read the entire story because of time. But there is this man who was paralyzed and he, he was on his bed. He, he couldn't move. So some men, his friends carried this man to Jesus, and they put the man who was paralyzed in front of Jesus, and guess what Jesus did to this paralyzed man? When Jesus saw their faith, the faith of the, the friends of this man, he said to the man, friend, your sins are forgiven. He looked at the paralyzed man. He saw faith, and Jesus said, Friend, your sins are forgiven. The Pharisees saw this and asked, Who is this fellow? Who is this person who, who, who speaks blasphemy? Who can forgive sins but God alone? Only God could forgive. But here is Jesus saying that he is forgiving. Jesus looks at the Pharisees, asks them, which is easier for you to say? Is it easier to say your sins are forgiven or stand and walk? He then heals the paralyzed man and the man begins to walk. It's a crazy scene. Jesus, as the son of God, forgave the sins of a man and subsequently healed the man because that is what God wants to do. He wants to forgive you. We see a story, a paralyzed man healed and forgiven. Jesus can forgive the sins of humanity. Your sins can be forgiven. Because the Son of Man, Jesus, has authority on the earth to forgive sins. Jesus is God with us. He is Emmanuel. 
And Emmanuel is capable of forgiving, of washing out our sins. Jesus has the power to forgive. And the last story, Luke 7, 36 to 50. It's a very interesting story. Jesus is eating with the Pharisees. And he sees a woman who was a sinner. Tradition says that she was a prostitute. This woman fell at the feet of Jesus and began washing his feet with tears and dried them with her hair. This was more common back then than now, but it's still pretty intimate. The Pharisees saw this and were baffled. Why is a sinner so close to Jesus? Then Jesus begins to tell a parable. In the parable, there's this creditor with two debtors. One debtor owed 500 denarii, which, is, which was like $4,000. And another debtor owed the creditor 50 denarii, so like 400. So we have two people who were in debt. And the creditor realized that neither of his debtors could pay off their debt. So the creditor canceled both of their debt. He, he forgave their debt. Now, which debtor would love the creditor more? The one that owed $4,000 or the one that owed $400? Obviously, it's the one that owed $4,000 since the amount is more substantial. He had a greater debt. Well, Jesus said that this woman loved Jesus more because her sins were great. The Pharisees, they didn't wash Jesus' feet, but the woman did. Why? Because her greater debt had been forgiven. This is Jesus speaking. Therefore, I tell you, her many sins have been forgiven, as her great love has shown. But whoever has been forgiven little, loves then Jesus said to her, your sins are forgiven. Jesus doesn't deny that the woman had sinned. No, she had sinned a lot. Her sins were many. But all of her sins had been forgiven. Therefore, she showed deep love. Jesus says, your sins have been forgiven. Powerful woman. Jesus forgives sins. And then she said, he said to the woman, Your faith has saved you. Go in peace. As a forgiven person who believed in Jesus, she had peace. Shalom. Peace that points to the new life that she had entered. In this state of forgiveness, she is saved. She has salvation. Salvation here is used as a form of rescue. She has been rescued from her sins. And she just believed. And Jesus forgave her. I like what one writer said. A personal relationship with Jesus Christ. Faith, that's what faith is. Brings about a personal relationship with God the Father. That transcends everything, everything in one's life that has damaged 
that relationship in the past. By believing in Jesus, by having a personal relationship with Jesus, the woman had gained a personal relationship with God. And it didn't matter what she had done to damage the relationship she had with God. Because now, through the forgiving power of Jesus, the woman could have peace that only comes from knowing God. The woman was lost in sin, was lost in chaos, was lost in Tohu Vavohu. There was no order, no peace. But as we see in the Bible, through forgiveness, Jesus redeems his people from darkness into light. And people have shalom. They have peace. Obviously, the sins that his people committed needs to be dealt with. So, so what Jesus did is that he absorbed their sins. He became a substitute. He got the sins of humanity and he died on the cross. He didn't have to die on the cross, but Jesus chose to because he loves you. He loves you so much so that he, that he wants to forgive you. He wants to forgive you so much that he, he went to the cross and absorbed your sins so that you could be freed. Now you can be reconciled with God. Now you can be healed. Now you can have a relationship with God. And now you who have been forgiven can also forgive. Because only the forgiven can forgive. There were debts that we could not pay. But God forgave our debts because Jesus Paid the price. It didn't cost us anything, but it costed God His only Son. Now all those who believe in the Son can have forgiveness and a harmonious relationship with God. Paul sees that because we have been forgiven, we have been justified. Scholars have said that for Paul, the essence of justification is the forgiveness of sins. Clearly, the forgiveness of sins is a basic component of justification. And justification, this idea of justification, just means this. That no, we are no longer seen as guilty in the eyes of God. But instead, in the eyes of the ultimate judge, in the eyes of God, we are innocent. In his letter to the Romans... Paul talked about everyone having a conscience, and we break that conscience, that, that intrinsic morality that we have. We fail, we lie, and, and, and we, when we think of what we should be doing and we don't do it, we, we realize that we have fallen, that we have sinned. God has put that morality inside of us. He, he put that conscience inside of, them, inside of us, and we, we break it. Therefore, we are all guilty. But God forgives us. Jesus, he takes our guilt. He takes the punishment of our sin on the cross. And therefore, we can be free. We can have forgiveness. 
I believe in the forgiveness of sins. Brothers and sisters in Christ, I believe that all of you can experience the forgiveness of sins. And we can all experience this because our God is a merciful God. And he has sent his son. So repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the remission, for the forgiveness of sins. Believe in Jesus Christ and confess him as Lord. And as we move forward with this series, remember this, that forgiven people forgive. Let's all pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for being with us today. I pray that today we may, and maybe this is a reminder, maybe we get a clearer view of this. That we broke our relationship with you and we sin and we fail. But fortunately, we thank you for this. You are a merciful God. You want to forgive. You want to forgive us for what we have done. And you could forgive us of all our sins. Our sins from our youth, our sins from yesterday, our sins from today. You can forgive it all. Because you love us. You loved us so much that you sent your son, Jesus Christ, to die on that cross. So that he could absorb all of our sins and pay the debt that we owed because of our sins. We see what mercy is, and I pray that everyone here, before we learn about how to forgive others, we may learn that we have been forgiven through the work of Christ. I pray, God, that we may see that, and that we may be inspired, and we may start thinking about how you're willing to forgive us so much, so much. Do a lot just to forgive us. Let us see that and be inspired to forgive others. In the name of Jesus Christ, we pray.